Hello, and welcome to an Ultimaker Turns 10 bonus episode, a miniature portrait of one of our year one staff members who, along with our co-founders and some of their early collaborators, helped paint a portrait of Ultimaker in its earliest years. This is Ultimaker Turns 10 bonus episode four, Kundabur. I am Kundabur, and I'm an electronics engineer at Ultimaker for almost nine years now. When I was a kid, I liked to build technical stuff with Lego Technics and stuff like that. I once made a system which opened my curtains when my alarm went off in the morning, for example, and I made disco lights by myself and, and stuff like that. When it was time to go pick a study, I drifted around a bit, tried some different things. I wanted to go to film school because I, uh, I'm a big film buff, but it all didn't work out. I've heard from several people, oh, yeah, he's an absolute film expert. <laughs> yeah, I just, I liked movie editing and, and shooting small movies back in the day. But after a while, I did one year of, it wasn't, yeah, it was sort of film school, dropped out because it was not really my thing. I like watching movies more than I like making them, basically. And then I thought, well, electrical engineering uh, might be interesting. It, it fits with my interests up till now, basically. I knew Eric de Bruyne through a cousin of mine. And someone mentioned that he was busy with 3D printing. And the first thing I thought was, wow, this was before Ultimaker started. And then a while later, I saw at their home a sort of puzzle box, which he made on, uh, on one of those machines. Did you ever go to ProtoSpace and see the their early rep wraps and the protoboxes? I saw the protoboxes at ProtoSpace because I, when I was studying electrical engineering, we had a uh, project at school where we wrote a report about 3D printing. And I contacted Eric de Bruyne to see if I could come by and, and look at the printer. So he invited me to one of the Ultimaker evenings at ProtoSpace. And that was with the protoboxes, I guess. Maybe it was close to them releasing the, the printer to the public. And then I showed him a small PCB I made for an internship. In my third year of studies, I did an internship at Thales, for which I had to design a very small PCB which would fit into a connector. And it had a small microcontroller on there, and they wanted to be able to automatically recognize what kind of device was, was connected. And that's what I sent to Eric de Bruin. And then a couple months later, he called me that he might have a job. I said, well, I'm looking for an internship. So one led to the other. When he called me, there was someone who briefly designed a PCB for Ultimaker, and they had the components, they had the bare PCBs, and they wanted the thing soldered. Eric thought of me, he saw the PCB I made. And when I started the internship, that was my first task, to look at that board, try to get it working. Back then they had the, the old green main board with the uh, Pololu stepper drivers on there, the Arduino board. And they just wanted a more reliable all-in-one solution, basically. So that was what I was asked to create for my internship. It was really interesting. The, the, we only had the Ultimaker Original back then. In the end, in the Ultimaker Original Plus, the same mainboard ended up. So the first time my design was actually used was in the Ultimaker 2. And that was really awesome. Really proud of, of that. 
the funny thing is the the most copied when because it was all open source fair game but the most copied pcb we released must be the auto controller pcb for a time that pcb was in everything every 3d print <laughs> because it was yeah it was a simple all-in-one thing and uh, with the rotating button you had to press yeah it was just beautiful in its simplicity and it was funny you could see it wasn't designed by electrical engineers because it, it, it didn't even have bypass capacitors on there none tell the story of the ultimaker museum and and the, taking people to see it so Every time we get new employees, I show someone around. I take them to the Ultimaker Museum. The museum starts with a wrap wrap, which is all rusted up from one of the founders. We had all three of them in there, and one of them even has the discrete component H bridges on there. It's the, the later versions, they have the first prototype of the green mainboard, but yeah, I love those discrete component versions. They're awesome. Then we have the product box, of course, with the electronics compartment, which opens from the top. We have a prototype of the first ultracontroller with hand-drawn PCBs, like they did back in the day, hand-etched. You could do it yourself. And we have prototypes of the Ultimaker 2. And I believe we have the first Ultimaker 2 there, which was signed by every production employee. As Ultimaker hardware continued to evolve and new models were released, how were you involved? Back when I started, it felt a bit like I was thrown in at the deep end, which was fine back then because Ultimaker felt more like a garden with toys you could just play with in it. But the thing that I lacked maybe in the beginning was like a mentor. I, I was the only electronics engineer. There was no one else. There was one outside guy who helped out now and again. But other than that, I was by myself, which was not the most optimal maybe for my electronic skills, but it was great for my being self-reliable and just doing everything, maybe not only the design, but helping production. And I saw every part of the process, which was really interesting. And I learned a lot. What was the thinking behind making the Ulti controller board and incorporating that into the main product? with the single button interface? And, and how did you contribute to help make that an elegant part of the user experience? Well, I know Martijn Elseman saw like the, the OLED display, I believe on one of the Form 1. He, he thought it looked really nice and he was like, I want this. I just looked at a lot of displays and we ordered some pretty expensive German buttons like for the car industry because we wanted like the illuminated ring which you can buy ready-made, but it's it's pretty expensive. But then we just said, let's try to see if we can make this ourselves. So I put RGB LEDs on the autocontroller. And then with the help from Harma, was the first time I put a piece of acrylic in the lathe and I actually made the first part to see if the LEDs were in the, the correct location and if there were enough, basically, because it would take quite some time to get the first prototypes in. And I was like, I really need to know, is this going to work? Is this enough light? Are they in the correct place? So I just made the first part myself. I believe the first batch we ordered was like 900 pieces, which was an enormous amount for us at the time. 
when we started selling the Automaker 2, it went so fast that like after a while we had, I don't know, two, three months backlog. We took some prototypes to the Maker Fair. They were not completely finished, but some of our marketing thought it was a good idea to just sell them there. There was a girl on the Maker Fair. I don't know, she made art pieces with an Automaker original. And she had issues with a printer and I fixed it for her. And she ended up buying the first Ultimaker 2 there. Uh, so then how did your role evolve at that point? What did you start to focus on? The Ultimaker 3 was supposed to be like a small improvement on the Ultimaker 2. Basically, we promised our customers like uh, Wi-Fi and dual extrusion. And we got dual extrusion to work on the Ultimaker original. I believe we even sold a kit to make it work. But the trouble was getting the hot ends perfectly aligned. See, it even made some prototypes where like the two um, uh, heater blocks were one part to try to get it perfect. But even if it was perfect, the print would hit one of the nozzles and uh, print would fail. The idea was that we would make some improvements and get that all done within six months. That turned out to be, I believe, two and a half years. But I'm still pretty proud of that printer. If we had known it was going to take us two and a half years, we would have made a lot of different choices. But it's still, I think, a great machine. And especially like the print head with the removable print cores. I'm really proud of that. And it took quite a lot of work to get it there. For example, with the if you need to be able to switch a hot end, I believe 750,000 times we calculated. We designed it for one year, a couple hours printing per day. And after a while, they just wear out and break. That took some time to get the correct wires in there so that uh, it would work. And the funny thing is now that they just last and last and last those print cores. They, they, they're pretty hard to destroy. The Ultimaker 3 was a departure for Ultimaker, not only like you're mentioning that solving the challenge of dual extrusion, but also marketed towards and starting to be adopted by professionals and in getting the first adoption in industry. What was that like from your experience in terms of preparing that product and how they were received and used in the world? When I started, everyone thought in five years, everyone is going to have a printer at home. And that didn't really happen. But I thought it was interesting that we pretty successfully made the shift from consumer products to companies. And I'm still amazed right now when I hear like the list of companies that, that use our printers. Of course, we're, we're still all waiting to have the Star Trek replicator at home and with the push of a button make everything. But to have our printers right now at Boeing, Apple, L'Oreal, yeah, it's really awesome. I'm really proud every time I, I, I see that. Well, it's funny, when, when I started the whole company, it was maybe 15 people, and it was so small that you jokingly set goals with each other. Like, the moment we have a water cooler, <laughs> then we're a real company. The moment we're going to have a forklift, then we'll be a real company. And you see that all happening. I love how we all always involve the community to make things better and how we are still very open in the way we, we've never said that you can only use Ultimaker material, for example. You can always use 
whatever you want, just try it and, and make it work. And with that, we of course have all the, the standard settings basically uh, with Ultimaker material, now all the third-party materials, and uh, it just makes things incredibly easy. And just to have all three, the machines, the software and the material, yeah, I think that's pretty unique and it works great. Are there any other stories that you really were dying to tell? When I first started, this was also in 2012 somewhere, I made a G-code file which would like print the little robots in sequence. So it would just print one, push it off, print one, push it off. And we made an entire wall that could be remote controlled, also with some uh, software that David wrote, that printed bracelets, which used the same technique and just massively printed a bunch of bracelets. And at like Maker Fair, you could print a bracelet in 12 minutes. It, the, the machine would spit it out. And because it was a bit stretchy, it would fly out the machine and you would have all these kids that were waiting for the machine just for the bracelet to come out. That was really fun. What would be a, a message to the Ultimaker ecosystem going forward? What you hope will happen within Ultimaker and within the, the field in the, in the next decade of desktop 3D printing? I, I love to get consumers more involved, to get more to regular people. What I thought was interesting, for example, is that Miele put a lot of files online for their vacuum cleaners and stuff like that. When I lost the cover for my remote control, I want to be able to, to download a file, print it at home and put it on there and not having to mess with duct tape or buy a new one. I still see a lot of potential there. I've got kids and I designed like clips for our kitchen, custom made, designed them in SolidWorks, printed them to put on the cupboards. For me, that's relatively easy, but there needs to be a killer app for 3D design. Make it really simple and to make it possible for yeah, consumers to just easily design their own stuff and print it. Thank you again to this week's guest. We'll return next week with another full episode of Talking Additive. And in two weeks' time, join us right here for our next bonus episode. Don't want to miss any of this great content? If you haven't already, you should subscribe to Talking Additive wherever you listen to podcasts. And join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Editing for this episode by Alexander Seuss. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Tacchini. Studio manager, David Roberson. Music by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer, Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening.